And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as always, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? I'm good today. Good today. I'm excited to record today. It's a good episode we're going to have. It's going to be a good episode. It's it's one I've actually wanted to do for a while. Mm -hmm. We've just been sort of looking for an opportunity to do it, and I guess now we have one. So you yep. want to tell us what our topic is? We are going to discuss the dilemma around foods, getting our kids to try new foods, getting them or trying to figure out why they're so restrictive. But we're going to talk about eating foods, eating and foods, and our kids just sometimes choosing only certain things. And I, I, the reason I want to do this is it's sort of mm -hmm. a common experience. Most autistic people I know and I just heard through the grapevine that we like what we call same foods, which mm -hmm. are a very, very narrow variety of foods that we'll eat all the time. For example, mm -hmm. uh, my friend Ryan, who appeared on, his pot, on, on this podcast a few weeks back, he would eat spaghetti and pasta sauce. No meat or cheese or anything, just spaghetti and a bunch of pasta sauce every day for lunch for all four years he was at college. Mm -hmm. I know because I was there for three of those years with him. All four, all four years, every single day. It didn't matter what, didn't matter what day was, didn't matter what they were serving at dining hall, every single day, pasta, tomato sauce. Same amount of tomato sauce, same amount of pasta, same type of pasta, just the regular spaghetti, every single day. Yes. So this is one of my topics that I actually, I like to address when parents bring it up because it's an opportunity for me to educate them on understanding. It's not just about, I don't like it, I don't want it. It's not that they are picky eaters for lack of a better term, right? But that's the terminology we use and or restrictive eaters or wanting the same foods. And so I try to help parents understand that most autistic individuals will choose foods that are sensory safe, right? And everybody's sensory system is different. So one of the you know, first things is, okay, it needs to be sensory safe. And then the other reason is kids will choose foods based on sensory needs. So if you need organizing oral proprioceptive input, you're going to choose foods that are chewy or you have to really get that input and that is what i mean it's that's the reality of it they can't communicate that when they're little but i do understand how it can be very frustrating for parents and and so we'll talk about some of those frustrations some of the dynamics and then what do we need to do? And I will just say from my perspective that I am not a proponent or an advocate for food therapy in terms of making children eat certain foods and doing behavioral approaches to get them to eat new foods because it can really like mental health issues, food, you know, eating disorders, because food should not be a it shouldn't be something you're made to do in terms of if you're uncomfortable, right? Or if you don't feel sensory safe. And I know that parents don't know that their children are feeling either sensory unsafe with certain foods and they don't understand it if no one has explained it to them. Um, and I do totally understand, typically when I talk to my moms and I'm a mom, 
their concern is it's my responsibility to make sure my child eats a healthy meal, right? Gets a healthy diet. Totally understand that. I respect that. Um, the only time, and I will put this clause, you know, folks are like, oh my gosh, the kids have a bad balanced meal. If children are not thriving, that's a whole different story, right? So we're not talking about kids who are picky eaters or restrictive eaters or whatever you want to call it. Um, and they're not gaining weight and they're not thriving. That's a whole nother dynamic. We're talking about kiddos that like your friend, Ryan, I want the same thing every day because they know what to expect. They're going to get their sensory needs met, or they're going to avoid something that feels sensory unsafe. What are your thoughts on that, Torin? <laughs> oh, I have a lot of thoughts, but I think one of the tackle last thing you said, I think it's actually hard to separate uh, picky eating from some of the health concerns you mentioned, because many autistic people do have gut mm -hmm. issues in part because of our dietary choices. Uh, the friend I mentioned, just for example, off the top of my head, had issues with an angry colon where he had to be hospitalized mm -hmm. because all the ass and tomato sauce basically destroyed his, <laughs> his uh, small mm -hmm. intestine from four years having it every single day. Day. I, I knew friends who were incredibly underweight because all they ate was Oreos and Hershey bars all day. Mm -hmm. They just would not eat. Um, I myself have some moderately severe stomach issues. I have a friend who has Crohn's disease, mm -hmm. um, all, all of which are autistic. So I, do, I don't think we can separate the malnutrition and digestive aspect mm -hmm. from the eating because one tends to lead to the other and one is very prevalent in the autism community. Yes. But we'll get to that uh, a little later. One of the things I want to talk about is you mentioned at the very beginning sensory safe foods for mm -hmm. people who this might be their first actual watching podcast, mm -hmm. right? Haven't worked with you. Mm -hmm. uh, what exactly do you mean by sensory safe food? Okay, that's a great question. So, and, and actually last night I had a coaching session with a mom and um, this is what we talked about. She talked about the foods that he ate, the foods that he refused to eat. And when I talk about sensory safeness, so sensory safeness is around feeling that number one, you're not going to have an discomfort sensory input. Um, some people, you know, kids and adults have described like eating a pear or an apple feels like spikes in their mouth, right? So if you take a bite of something and it feels like spikes, are you going to take another bite? No, it's automatically now the rule is not safe, not sensory safe, nope, nope, nope. Don't ever want it again, right? Running away three-year-old. Um, the other part is when children avoid foods that are kind of mushy, like pudding or potato, you know, mashed potatoes or, even things like ice cream, you know, my parents are like, oh my gosh, like who doesn't want ice cream and pudding? If your proprioceptive system is not giving you efficient messages as to where your body, your tongue, your teeth, your jaws are in relation to space and food that is put in, you don't feel secure and moving food around where it needs to go for you to prepare to swallow. So nobody likes the sensation of choking. So if you eat pudding and your sensory system and your proprioceptive, your motor planning is not giving you the ability to move that around for you to be able to suck that down and you feel like you're choking or you feel like you might gag, most likely you will never try that food again because it's not a sensory safe food from your perspective. 
our children can't articulate that, right? We have to wait until they're older to tell us that if they can, and then sometimes adults can explain it to us. But those are things that when we think about the sensory system, the gustatory system is a powerful system. I mean, there are, I will just share a personal story about my lunch today. I love baked potatoes, right? Love, 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 love baked potatoes. Had a baked potato and literally was scraping the baked potato because it gives me such a wonderful sensation in my mouth. I wanted more, right? Even though it was pretty much gone and shamefully, <laughs> I was like scraping for more. But because it gives me such a pleasurable sensation, whether it's tasting or it feels, you know, nice in my mouth, it's not whatever it is, I gravitate to want to do that again right? Opposed to, you know, I'm a person who doesn't like putting in jello because of the consistency. Our children are choosing, they know what is best for them. I tell parents this all the time, <laughs> not saying they don't know the nutrition value, but they know what works for their sensory system. That's why they either jump or avoid foods or, you know, take in certain foods or want crunchy foods because they're really trying to organize. So that is an example of the sensory safeness. And I think it's not talked about enough. Parents are not aware of, for some kids, it's a lot of work to chew and move food around in their mouth to get ready to swallow. So those foods, they will just avoid. So in theory, if you could work on some of the motor planning, some of the strength around the jaws and the, the diaphragm and such to improve that, to get up to like a level consistent of a normal child, for lack of a better word, could that, in theory, help with the aversion to so many different types of food? Well, if you overall build a more efficient sensory system, and that's maybe not the right way to say it, but if you're, you know, incorporating sensory activities, sensory movement, uh, all those, you know, sensory diet routine activities throughout the day with consistency then the, the idea is that your child's system will learn to interpret information a little bit more efficiently, right? Doesn't mean that it's always going to be um, um, as efficient. And the efficiency is not that it's broken. It's that a lot of individuals take in lots of sensor information and there's a traffic jam and you can't process everything efficiently. So you can, in theory, if you work on their overall system, then they're more um, what's the word I use? They feel more comfortable to take a risk and try something new because they feel like they're getting more efficient messages, right? Like, oh, okay. It's like children who climb. Children who climb are children who feel secure in their balance. Children who don't climb and don't want to get on something high, it's because they don't feel secure in their balance. You know, I'm not going to do something that makes me feel uncomfortable. Nobody is. I mean, yes, you push yourself if you have a goal, but you're not going to just risk something that makes you feel unstable or uncomfortable. But yes, to answer your question, going back to <laughs> if you do overall sensory input and regulate their system and help with that as much as possible with consistency, it's not a fix, but it does give them the ability to take that risk to try something new because they can process it a little bit easier. Does that make sense from an it autistic perspective? Makes perfect sense. And I think at this point, we need to break the conversation down into sort of two directions. So the first is how to, the first is how to get your child, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, to expand their palate, mm -hmm. because socially it can be a little bit, 
difficult to navigate uh, public eatings or dinners with family and stuff. Let's say you all go to a restaurant or you make dinner at home, for example, and your kids only eat French fries. Mm -hmm. And while we tell parents just ignore the family, at times it can uh, be, it can have a lot of pressure to have that because then people look at you like, what the hell is wrong to you? Why is your mm -hmm. kid only eating French fries? Because everyone has something to say. And I think the second one is nutrition. Mm -hmm. where that same example of French fries, which once again, this comes from a friend's cousin who is autistic, who only eats French fries. There's no nutritional value in that. Well, not mm -hmm. much, especially restaurant French fries. And a lot of the, that's the thing. A lot of the foods that autistic people tend to choose tend to be devoid of nutrition mm -hmm. because the foods we choose tend to be uh, very fatty and very salty and very sweet. Those tend to be the stuff we like because they're, those are chemically engineered to taste good. So there is a thread, at least from, from what I've seen. So the two angles are how can we navigate social situations where our kid only wants to eat one, not, and one atypical food or a few atypical foods, and how do we deal with the nutrition aspect to make sure our kid is getting all the nutrition they need through their diet? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the first one. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say already, but I think anyone who's been following this podcast knows exactly what you're about to say. So this is my deal. My deal is this, and this is why we're doing this podcast, because we are trying to shift the narrative around everything autism, right? Or shift the narrative on everything autism. And when I, when I hear that scenario, when I hear the struggles of, um, you know, it's challenging, you know, when you go out to dinner, my pushback on that is, if you had a child who was a diabetic, if you had a child who had Crohn's disease, if you had a child who had a metabolic disease, you would make adjustments and accommodate them when you go out to restaurants. Difference Our is, children is, need the same. Those to people that you, you can, can, but that's why we're saying, that's why we're trying to educate parents because if parents understand, then they can say, well, the reason why he doesn't want to eat your pudding that everybody loves your bread and a bread pudding is because, and then you explain it doesn't mean everyone's going to accept it and love it. I'm not saying there's not going to be pushback. I'm saying that we have to get to the point where the indivisibility, or that's not a word. What is that word? Invisibility around autism and not being able to see the internal processing. We have got to stop acting like it's not real. Right. And that's why we're having these conversations because it is real to the child. It's real to the autistic individual. And when parents are empowered and they understand it, they do have the strength to, to, to stand up and advocate and fight back. Now, when I say fight back, I'm talking about the grandmas, the wonderful grandmas, because that's usually what parents say. My mom says their grandparent doesn't understand. They keep saying you need to let that kid, you know, they keep making blah, blah, blah. The other thing I go to is when you talked about French fries, right? What I always say is who introduced French fries? Who introduced mac and cheese and who gave them chicken nuggets? Children are going to, well, not children, most of us, <laughs> but especially children when we're introducing foods, you know, but Oreos are pretty good. Chicken nuggets for some kids is pretty good, right? So you're going to choose those foods that are like, oh, this is really yummy. I'm not saying your children should not be introduced to French fries, but 
whatever foods they're introduced to initially, they choose the ones that work within their sensory system. And so what foods are we going to introduce? Right. And that goes back to what foods do the parents eat. Now I have a lot of parents who have wonderful, healthy diets, their kids pick through, they don't eat the meat, they don't eat vegetables. And I always go back to, there's a reason they developed multivitamins. There's a reason. And now we have the benefit of- I'll say that later in the yeah. afternoon. Exactly. Yeah. I take, yeah. I take multivitamins. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's one of those things where even in just in general, in today's society, we all know, we see the news, our vegetables are not the same quality vegetables my dad had that were really healthy. You know, we're not getting the same nutrition we used to get from foods, which is why the supplement business is so, you know, booming because everyone's taking supplements. I take supplements and I eat a pretty decent, you know, I may eat a lot of chips, but I like crunchy foods. They're very organizing for me. I mean, I, I know this because now I understand sensory, but my thing is this number one, I tell all my moms, I really, really think that a lot of our kids have nutrition angels. So they seem to be fine. I don't see a lot of sick kids. You're right. As they get older, sometimes there are medical issues, right? And I don't know every autistic individual. I just know the kids that I've worked with and the adults that I know now. And I will say that most of my kids, you know, as far as I know, the ones they're doing pretty good right now. I don't know everyone's medical gut issues. My thing is this. I'm not saying that parents should not want their kids to have more nutritional foods. I'm not saying we should not try to introduce our children to new foods. I'm saying that we need to do it in a way that our children feel comfortable taking that risk without pressure. And then you actually have more success. And one of the things that I will say, and I will say it, and I will say it over and over again, and I will never change my mind. I don't really care if your child eats an apple and green vegetables because you've done food therapy from a behavioral approach and they still cannot communicate their needs and wants because eating an apple and eating vegetables is not on a job application. It's not. Your boss doesn't care what you eat. Yes, you need to be healthy. We all know that. When, when you're out in public though. So that's where you have to build yourself. We have to do that. Torin, and I, I'm, I love that we have this dialogue because this is exactly what it's about. It's about making ourselves and making us uncomfortable. It is far better for me as a parent, as an adult, to make myself uncomfortable so that my child is not. Because I'm an adult. The child should not have to be uncomfortable to make adults comfortable. That just should not. Like they didn't ask to come here Like as a mom. Like I just feel that we have to put our big girl panties on, you know, as a mom. And sometimes it does cause conflict, but at the same time, anyone who's listening, who is a parent, I don't care if you do everything right. Somebody always has something to say always. And you just have to realize you're choosing to parent your child the way you want to parent your child. You have to be confident in that. And that's where educating yourself and understanding and making your choices I, I, I am not saying that we should not strive for our children to have a more well-balanced diet, right? Um, but I will also say, I know some folks that are not autistic, they eat the same thing all the time. I mean, my 
you know, I guess uh, we're all here and I'm not uh, one that, you know, my life is an open book. My ex-husband, every time we went anywhere, I had to make sure they had chicken breast. It's the only thing he eats. Anything with chicken breast, chicken breast, chicken breast, chicken breast bread. Like that is the staple of his diet. Now, not saying he didn't eat other things, but that was the only thing he would eat if he went to a restaurant. It was his go-to food, right? So there are lots of people and there are countries where, you know, if you think of primitively or historically and even countries now, they have 12 foods they eat. It's the same 12 foods over and over again because it's all they have. We are spoiled. We have Thai food restaurants, Indian food restaurants. We have a variety of foods that we can cook, right? And we who love food and love different foods want our children to share in that experience, but it's not worth fighting your child over without considering why they're choosing to opt out. Does that make sense? No, it, it, it does. And obviously on this podcast, I often play devil's advocate to sort of provide the dissenting opinion, especially because we tend to agree on everything. So obviously I agree with everything you say. And I understand that like parents, as much as I'm arguing for parents who deal with social mm-hmm. pressure and things like that, at a certain point you do have to kind of sack up like yeah. that's, it, 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 you're an adult, it, it's what you got to do. The second thing I want to focus on is the nutrition aspect, because mm-hmm. I do know quite a few autistic people, including myself, who have had various levels of uh, digestive yes. and health problems in due at least to impart to their diet. I've struggled with obesity my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some uh, digestive issues, especially the last few months that have been particularly bad. Um, like I said, I knew kids who had t- uh, TBI, but I knew people who had severe constipation. Mm-hmm. That, that's a big one. Oh, yes. Yes. Big, big one. one. Um, yes. Or have acid reflux, things like that. People who are way too young to be dealing with that stuff. Yes. People like in high school and such. I have, like I said, I have one friend with Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. It's either Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. One of those really bad ones. I forget. Yeah. They're not fun. Uh, it, yeah. And I said, I know another friend with angry colon, which is uh, mm-hmm. not fun. It basically means you got to get a colonoscopy every year. And when you're in your 20s, that kind of sucks <laughs> because it, <laughs> that means you're getting them for the rest of your life. You want to try to yeah. hold that off as long as you can. Torin, Torin, can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah, what's up? Because I want to bring it back to what you said when you said, and, and I want I want the listeners to hear this, but I also want to communicate this to you in terms of one of the things I love about our dialogue is I, I don't, I don't always necessarily think that it's that we agree on everything because I love that you have a perspective. That's why, you know, we're here, but you have the perspective of, you know, you are an autistic individual, you know, adults, you know, you know, a lot of things that I may not know, of course, because we have different lived experiences, <laughs> but I, I think that it's that we both agree that we need to respect autistic individuals. And that's where, even though you and I come from different perspectives and yes, we have aligned, we're aligned in our values around how we want to um, navigate when we're working, you know, as therapist, teacher, parent, autistic individuals. But I think what you, what you say in your pushback is valid, right? It impacts nutrition. It gives some long-term health um, issues. And I guess it, I guess for me, sometimes I think about it's like anything else when you when you are taking medication 
for to stay alive or to function. There are side effects that come along with that, right? So you have to decide, are the side effects enough, right? For you to accept so that I can be here on this earth after I've, you know, beat cancer and I have to take this medicine or is it, is the other part, like, which is the lesser of the, you know, lesser of two evils. Yes. Yes. Because and I think, and I'll stop talking because I do want to talk about the nutrition. It really does break my heart when I see things like, oh, look, my child, you know, people will post things like, look, my child ate a French fry, you know, oh, look, my child, you know, whatever. And then I'm looking at this child that has no method of communication. You're not even connecting with your child. You're just excited. And I'm not saying there's not value in that, but it breaks my heart because I feel like we all get caught up in tangible things that we can control, right? We can't control how quickly a child learns and develops communication per se, right? We can't control how quickly they potty train, but we can control putting things in their mouth and making them eat it, right? So it gives parents a sense of, I can do something to help my child. And I totally understand that. My role is always to help parents decide, what do I want to put my time and energy on to develop something that is going to be long-term and look at it from that perspective. Does that make sense? You know, oh, it, it makes perfect sense. It's actually, I didn't think of that, the sort of control aspect where it gives you a sense that there's something I can do. So yes. when your child's young, autism can be really frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I don't really want to get into strategies when nutrition is a problem. I mm-hmm. want to get into some strategies. I think we both have some ideas, but first we have a sponsor. sponsor. Yes. 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 As, as you know, for the last uh, couple weeks or so, we've been, we've gained a sponsor, uh, the Lipschitz brand of autism curing products. (laughs) And they actually sent us an ad read. Just told me we're doing this episode. They actually have a product for the for for kids who are picky eaters. Oh. So, when the pandemic first broke out, Donald Lipschitz decided to not have a victim mentality. Instead, he decided to dominate the virus, licking every mailbox, street sign and flagpole on Staten Island in an effort to catch COVID-19 and thus become immune. After he was taken off the ventilator 3 weeks later, Lipschitz noticed a strange side effect from the virus. Everything now tasted like molten garbage. But once again, Lipschitz turned his loss into gain. Many autistic parents struggle to conjole their their autism-infested children in the eating new foods. As Lipschitz was being wheeled out of the ICU, wheezing like Darth Vader's asthmatic cousin, he he conceived the Lipschitz palate expander. The Lipschitz Palate Expander is a twice-weekly injection that makes every food your child enjoys taste like Staten Island. That is to say, repugnant. Simply go to LipschitzAutismCures.com and fill out a list of your child's same foods. Then, our Trump University certified pharmacologists will create a serum that will make your child despise their favorite foods. Unable to, to- unable to tolerate their previous same foods, your child will be forced to eat like a normal person. 
putting them back on the road to being a doctor or a lawyer or whatever unrealistic dream you had for them. Lipschitz autism curing products, giving you back the child that never existed. Love it. Got to go get one. Got to go get one. Seriously. It, 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 it's, it's, and we actually have a promo code. So just put in uh, Lipschitz 10 to get 10% off your uh, twice weekly injections. Great. It's a great value. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. I don't know if I ever shared this story with you, Torn, but my oldest son is my sensory kid and um, not autistic, but sensory. And uh, he, he did not eat meat. I think his first hamburger from McDonald's was like, he didn't eat any meat for till he was like seven. Like he just did not eat meat. He just, I was like, Oh, look, I guess he's like a, no, he would eat fish and shrimp, but like a kind of like a, a semi vegetarian by choice. Um, but eventually he explored new foods on his own. And, and now he's, you know, six foot three football player coach. And, you know, clearly he um, consumes a lot of food now, but um, all right, nutrition, nutrition, nutrition. Well, the great thing is that we live in a time now where there are a hundred million ways, I swear, to get nutritional. I mean, there are like gummy vitamins, there's liquid, there are now, you know, cookies that have fiber. I mean, there's a hundred ways to yeah, get- be, be careful with those cookies because they taste like normal cookies. You eat like five of them and, and then you have a bad time. I'm not speaking from experience or anything. This is <laughs> what, what I've been told. No more constipation when you eat a bunch of fiber cookies, right? Um, it's, a real, it's a real moving experience. Yes, anyway. yes, yes, yes. So I think the first line of defense is, and this is what I tell parents when regards regards to nutrition. And, and so we all know that there's a burden on most moms and, and dads, but most moms, if they're the primary, um, you know, whoever is the primary feeder, right? Whoever's responsible for cooking and, and groceries in the household, there's a, a burden on making sure there are healthy choices, right? And some families, it doesn't really matter, right? Some families that would eat what they eat. So we already know that part. So let's, you know, besides that part that there's the burden of wanting to look like you're feeding your kid a healthy diet and feeling like you're not a good mom or dad, if you don't, we already know that's part of it. So when we, when we push that to the side, we think about how do I get nutrition? Well, find a way to get those things into your kid, right? Figure out whatever it is that they like, find out what product has that nutritional value and you know, find ways to get it in there. There are some kids I know who don't like gummies. There are some kids I know who don't wanna take that, You know, they're sniffing out the vitamins, right? Like there's some kids who are like, oh, looks like nutrition, not interested. Um, <laughs> that was me. So, yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of figuring out how to sort of, for lack of a better way, trick your child into taking in that nutritional value through, you know, a smoothie or, you know, a protein powder or whatever it is that you need to do. You know, some kids love chocolate milk. So parents give them that one chocolate insure, which has a lot of good stuff. And the kids are getting that, you know, it just depends. Um, I guess for me, Torin, you know, it's, I want parents to spend their energy on things when, as a as what is a priority, right? So if you can supplement nutrition while you're working on fine motor communication, sensory regulation, and everything else that you need to work on, um, or help your child and support their needs, then when you get a lot of that skill set in place, 
sometimes the 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 risk to to opening themselves up to new food comes into play, right? Because there's so many other things that they're supported with that that's not something that's a huge challenge for them anymore. I mean, everybody's different, but you know, I, I, I really, and I say this because Torin, there are moms who are just painstakingly exhausted trying to figure out how to give their kids, you know, and then the, the parents who are already on board with, well, you know, they eat pancakes, they eat pancakes, they eat pancakes. And then now six months later, they're like, okay, now that I don't eat pancakes, what do I fix? Right. What do I fix? And that's where I go back to, if they're able to communicate, they can tell you what they want. All right. So what's your input on nutrition based on your experience? Well, pretty much everything you said. Um, I have some suggestions that's helped me and helped mm-hmm. some of my friends, obviously, since we all don't have the same likes and dislikes. It's mm-hmm. sort of individualistic, Jesus. Um, but so for me, multivitamin, I take multivitamin because mm-hmm. pretty much pretty much all green vegetables make me gag. Mm-hmm. Like most kids don't like green vegetables. Most people don't like green vegetables. I will gag. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of out. So I take a, a multivitamin makeup for that. I don't like most fruits either. I just don't like taste. So a multivitamin is good. Uh, sort of protein supplements. So I'm a big fan of, there's a bar called the Outright Bar. And no, we're not sponsored, but I think it's spelled uh, O-U-T-R-I-G-H-T, Outright, one word. Mm -hmm. And they make like flavors like uh, chocolate chip cookie dough. Um, I think they make a chocolate chip cookie dough. I know they make a cookies and cream. That's the one I have right now. And that one's really good. Uh, They have like a, a mint chocolate chip. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they have a cookie dough. I know they have a chocolate chip. They have a pumpkin spice and it has like between 14, and 17 grams of protein. It doesn't use a bunch of the artificial sweeteners that a lot of, uh, protein bars use. That's the issue mm-hmm. with protein bars is a lot of them have like, are loaded with things like fiber, which as you yeah. said about the, the, the cookies, it's going to blow up your gut and be a very moving experience. And that might not be good for autistic people who we tend to have gut issues. Yeah. So something like outright bars. Well, it was a good day. They, they have consistency of like a candy bar or a cookie, which most autistic people like. So they sell them, hell, they sell them on Amazon now. They sell them everywhere. They sell them, I think, GMC. They sell them at Vitamin Shop. I, I got mine from Amazon. They sell them everywhere. So mm-hmm. I've seen them at, at 7-Eleven. So I would look into that outright. It, it's one word. That's something that could be a way to sneak some protein at least mm-hmm. and has like honey in it and natural sweetener. So it's good stuff. Uh, for things like eggs, French toast, that's a pretty simple solution. Um, I can't stand eggs, but I'll eat it if it's in French toast. Mm-hmm. So things like French toast is, is a decent solution. Um, pretty much if, if they'll eat meat, mm-hmm. um, any sort of like anything with meat in it can, can, can be a big help if they'll eat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, for example, if they're into like breads, like pastas and stuff, maybe a whole wheat pasta. Uh, and then as for the vegetables, I would just let it ride. I would, if they really can't eat it, that can be supplemented with a multivitamin. Yeah. Uh, certain types of juice. I'd be aware of some juices, especially from concentrate, but like, I don't know if they still make Mott's, the Mott's apple juice. I know mm-hmm. they still make applesauce. They make like an apple cider, which is not like the juice, like a cider uh. natural. It still has a, a bunch of sugar in it, but actually has like the vitamin C and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'd say lean on supplement, lean on like supplements. They make gummies. Um, if your kid can't swallow pills, I couldn't swallow pills. But I was like, I was like in high school before I could do that. Mm-hmm. So they make gummies. 
Um, as for fiber, some fiber could help if they have digestive issues. So things like they make fiber one, pretty mm-hmm. much all the fiber ones products are delicious. Just don't eat too much of it, but they're mm-hmm. all delicious. You can get them pretty much anywhere. Any supermarket sells them and uh, they, they get you cleared right out speaking from experience. So those are sort of tips that have helped me and helped some, some, some of my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, just are- get a little creative. Yeah, those are great tips, especially for our, our, our families who have, you know, older kids, right, who maybe are just, you know, teenagers by default, puberty, kids crave yucky, junky foods. I mean, puberty yeah. hormones, kids crave, they crave junky food. I mean, it's just part of being a teenager. That's just what they crave. So, you know, having that as the snack or protein bars are a really good option. It's not just and, for athletes. And I, and I have a question. Well, mm-hmm. I could tell you high school athletes before I say high school athletes eat like crap, man. Mm-hmm. That is a that is a professional athletes might eat better, but like I played sports in high school and we we ate whatever. Like we had a contest. I don't know for our non-US listeners if they have this, but we have this thing called an Arizona iced tea, mm-hmm. which is like these tall, like 24-ounce cans, these like tall boy cans. And we would have contests to see how quickly we could down those. <laughs> Which gave us great training for college, I will say that. And yeah. the sad thing is, I'm not being sarcastic, it did. Yeah. Yes. But I do have a question. What happens if you try to induce new food? Let's mm-hmm. say your child likes something very unhealthy, like French fries or Oreos, and you try to cut down on that because, like, let's say they're already overweight, the doctor's saying mm-hmm. they need to cut down, or they're having severe digestive issues. And when you try to cut down, the result is a meltdown. Yes. Uh, how do you a either try to avoid that meltdown or mm-hmm. avoid the tantrum, or how do you ride it out if it is inevitable? How you how you navigate that situation? Okay. So I do always think it's really good for parents if they do have access to, if you do, a nutritionist that understands autistic individuals, right? Which that's not easy to access. Good, good luck getting out on insurance. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you can, if you're in a place where you can consult someone who, who can help you with navigating and understanding that, that really is, is helpful for a lot of parents. In regards to the trying new foods. So I will share what I recommend for my families. I recommend that the foods that they eat, you can offer in a separate plate on the side. You can just put it on the table where they play, um, maybe pieces of fruit, maybe you know, pieces of broccoli. Some kids actually like raw broccoli when they feel it and touch it sensory-wise. And then they... No, 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 no. Just <laughs> about it. Oh, so sorry, Torrin. So sorry. Um, Aaron and your kid loves broccoli. Just, I don't care what other issues they have. Just count yourself lucky. There's, every other pa- There's like one parent probably watching this. My kid loves raw broccoli. Every other parent that listens to this is like, you lucky bitch. <laughs> Some kids like broccoli. So thinking in terms of what I tell parents is you offer foods without demand. You make different foods available without demand. With demand, and I mean, or should I say what demand looks like is, oh, here, try this. Up. Oh, I'm feeling a little pressure. I'm backing away from that plate or I'm running away. Oh, look, 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 it's good. You know, that constant trying to, as we naturalistically want to share the joys of food, when we try sometimes to get our kids to try it, they feel a little pressure. They don't feel like they have control over their sensory input. And so they will either avoid meltdown, whatever it is. So I tell parents to use a more just 
passive laid back approach, make those foods available. Um, I have some parents who do some really good creative art with food. And sometimes I'll do art activities where they can play with vegetables and make designs. And without talking about eating it, kids will taste it on their own accord. Because when you have control, and I'm not talking about control, like, oh, I want to control. When you are able to choose when you take something into your mouth, what you put into your mouth, then you're more secure of taking that risk. And when you feel pressure, you more than likely are going to, you know, sensory overload, feel overwhelmed or just run, right? Avoid it. So I know the look on your face, we're going to go past that. I think we're in sync. But what I think is important is that don't get caught up if your child is healthy, right? And I mean, healthy in terms of they are, you know, not malnutrition, they're not failing to thrive. Just try to make it fun, not a direct demand or request or here, try it. Like, just let it go. Don't be like, you can't leave this table unless you eat that. No, you don't want to do that. And you know, um, I will say that that scenario is actually, you know, even outside of autism, that is one of the main reasons a lot of people have eating disorders because so much control was built around food. You have to finish your plate. No one taught kids to know if you're full, you can stop, right? I mean, I taught my kids, but I remember growing up, right? Your, your grandma would put food on the plate and you have to finish everything on your plate because you're not going to waste food. But sometimes people put too much food on a kid's plate, right? Or sometimes they just don't want to, they're just not that hungry. And so if they don't finish, you don't have to throw it away. You can say, you can come in and get it later or let me know when you need more or whatever it is that you want to do. I think that, I, you know, my concern is that there's so many autistic individuals that I've spoken to, especially a lot of women, because women are already under scrutiny for weight and what you're eating that have eating disorders because of food therapy. Right. And I don't want that for anyone else. I don't want, I want to avoid as much trauma as possible. And I don't think that sometimes we realize that when we're, when we're our intent is to make them healthier eater eaters, our approach can be harmful. Well, I, 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 and I didn't think of that either. I'm glad you mentioned that, that the, the long-term effects of this, of forcing someone to eat or not, so, or not sort of guiding their diet in a halfway decent direction. Mm-hmm. So I think it can go on the other side too, where you just let them eat like shit the whole, the whole time. And then they grow mm-hmm. up, they're still eating like shit and then they have health problems. They don't know anything about healthy eating. Speak from experience once again. Um, and healthy, I use with quotes because it's such a relativistic term. But one of the things before we get out of here that um, I do want to bring up is a quick story. So I have a friend who, well, mm-hmm. I have a friend, he's actually been on this podcast. Um, I don't, I don't think he'd care if I told the story on. So uh, Henry, he was on, I think he's on a second Aspie talk. He'll be on again soon, hopefully. And he had, he told me a story once that his dad made, his dad's a chef, like a, like a big time chef, like working at like famous uh, restaurants and hotels and stuff that like presidents and stuff eat at. So he's a really good cook. But one day he made, I want to say it was tuna or catfish, some sort of seafood. And Henry was a kid and he didn't like it. 
And his dad made him, because dad's like comes from like a third world country. He's an immigrant. Mm-hmm. He's one of those immigrant stories, those success stories. He made that kid sit there and eat everything until he started to gag. Yeah. And only then, he still didn't let him go. It's just by that point, his mom stepped in and was basically mm-hmm. like, can you let this kid go? He's gagging. He was going to let him just keep just gagging and just upset. Throw If he throws up, he throws up. He can eat that too. Like, And I feel like a lot of parents have that mindset, especially my aunt's a little like that when you mentioned the plate about well, put whatever's on your plate, you eat it, especially older individuals. I don't want to be, be ageist, but like older individuals who were mm-hmm. kids who were raised by individuals who grew up in like the Great Depression, World War II. Yes. We would like to act like that's a long time ago, but it's really we're only two generations removed. So they grew up with this scarcity mindset, for lack of a better word. So the mm-hmm. idea of wasting food, or they might be from a third world country, mm-hmm. where the idea of wasting food is like, almost like heretical to them yeah and how do you so how do you reconcile that um that sense of the awfulness of having to waste food because your kid won't eat it without like forcing to eat till we gag without causing trauma how do you reconcile those two things you know as you were talking you know my neurosynapses start connecting and firing off and i have all these ideas in my head but what i what I think is important, um, sort of like just to conclude and wrap this up, and we'll probably bring this back on. You know, I think it'd be great if we had this topic again with maybe a couple of parents to participate. Well, we definitely, we definitely got. Yeah. Here. So we, one we, of the things we're going to bring parents on, and then like we kind of don't. Well, we will. We will. I think it's just you know we need some neurotypical parents. Like we've had some autistic parents on. In fact, yes. we've had a bunch of like our last three guests. At yeah. Least, our last yes. few guests have all been parents of autistic kids. They've been autistic themselves, yes. which is great. But we, I'd love to have like neurotypical parents where there's a bit of a disconnect. Exactly. Exactly. And and we have, I've got three lined up, so we'll definitely make that happen so we can have more discussions. But I think that the reality is that food is one of those things that is everywhere, right? Food is everywhere. It's a part of what we have to do. We have to eat. And I think it just depends on your family dynamic, your cultural um, dynamic, and your relationship with food yourself as a parent. And so when you think about, okay, what are the cultural expectations around food that I was raised with, right? What are the family dynamics of my situation in terms of what foods I can provide? And then what is my relationship with food as a parent? And how is that impacting how I am trying to either dictate, provide, or navigate around in feeding my child? And so I'm going to leave it at that because I want, I want listeners to just kind of, just kind of process and sit with that because I do think it's important to think about your relationship with food and your relationship with food is impacted based on how you were raised within your own family and the dynamics of your situation, but also your culture. You know, I grew up in new Orleans. Food is about socializing. Food is not about eating for nutrition, but there are some places where, People are just eating to eat because they have to eat, go to work, get up, and there's not a social dynamic around it. But I grew up where food was such a social, wonderful experience for me that I have a really great relationship with food. Now, I have a really, I have my dad's DNA, so my metabolism 
prevents me from appearing like I have an eating disorder, but my relationship with food, I think sometimes is really kind of like, yes, eating disorder, but, um, cause my entire life is around Every my digestive person system. says that they're like, I got a fast tackles. And you look how many calories are actually eating per day. It's like, Oh, you're eating 1800s. Like, no, you don't, you're a fat, your metabolism is fat. You just don't actually eat as much as you think you're eating. It's like, you eat know, what I eat and see if you put on weight. Like I can so, down 4,000 calories without, without blinking. So this is what I will say. When I was younger, the doctor had to give a note to the school for me to have two lunches because I was like starving by the time I finished my first lunch. Like when I tell you my entire, like my mother would get so frustrated because I would sit and eat breakfast and say, what's for lunch? What's for dinner? And she's like, oh my gosh, my, and you can ask, you can ask anyone who, you know, is with me on a regular basis, everything that's around Stacy's stomach, whether it's food going in or food going out. Everything is based around, I have a really wonderful friend and this will be my last little story so we can finish up a wonderful friend in New Orleans that, you know, before COVID and um, all of that, he would do like dinner parties and he's a really great cook. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah, we're going to go there for dinner parties and good wine. He would actually have a plate just for me to eat while he was fixing the food for the dinner party, because everybody knows my stomach dictates my entire schedule. (laughs) I know that. So, yes. So anyway, I want to tell the listeners, this is a really, really, it's a, it's, it can be a stressful topic. It can be a stressful situation for a lot of families, but um, we'll revisit this. We'll revisit this Um, because there's a lot more to it than just your child doesn't like it. There are lots of reasons why your child is, either gravitating towards foods or avoiding certain foods. And a lot of times it's really just based around the sensory needs. Um, I know I always go back to sensory, but it's how we all navigate. It's always, it's always sensory needs. Yes. And remember, if you don't want to put in any of the extra work, just invest in um, Lipschitz palate extenders. There you go. It's That's a, it. It costs a little bit, but saves, it saves you time on the back end. The only, <laughs> the only downside is that it's not real. Um, yes. <laughs> so I, I found the head out of here. Um, seriously, guys, uh, thanks for listening. Feel free to comment. Please comment. It helps us in the algorithm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark Lombiner of, of Outright Bar, feel free to sponsor us. We, we, we actually need a real sponsor besides Lipschitz. <laughs> so feel free. We open up a whole new market for you. And um, yeah, uh, thanks for listening. And we're out. You ready to go? I am. Please make sure you share the podcast with folks who do not have any connection with autism, because remember, in order to shift the narrative, we need everyone to listen. Exactly. We still haven't been canceled yet. So I'm kind of, I, I see that as a personal failing. That's like a moral <laughs> failing. I have not gotten us canceled. So we need we, the whole audience. We got to step our game up. We're trying to get canceled so we can, so we can make that cancellation money. See ya. <laughs> Bye, Torin. Hey guys, if you want to follow the podcast on social media, find us on Twitter at Shifting Autism. You can follow Stacy on Twitter at Autism Sage and Instagram at Everything Autism. Follow me on Twitter at TK underscore Aspie, on Instagram at Autistic underscore Author, and on Facebook at The Autistic Author. Thanks for listening.